everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at the final book in the Witch series by Ruth Warburton, A Witch Alone. Um, I've read the first two books in this series and reviewed them, and to be honest, I feel like my enjoyment has diminished with each book. The first one I was really optimistic about, kind of raving over, really enjoyed it, felt like it was kind of a fresh take on some of the YA protagonist tropes. It feels like in A Witch in Love, some more of those tropes appeared. We saw a worrying drop in our main character's intelligence. And this third book I had more issues with and didn't really enjoy as much. So that's quite sad. I feel like familiarity does breed contempt in series like this. Like at first it's fresh and new and then as it goes on you kind of start getting bored of it. But it's not really a long series so it's kind of worrying that that kind of struck me in this book. I think most of that feeling came from the fact that I felt like the middle book in the series kind of deviated strongly from the main plot, the, the kind of idea that Anna was special, that people were going to be after her, that there was some sort of secret surrounding why her mum had disappeared. And the second book very much kind of fell into there were witch hunters, she found her grandmother, but not a huge amount of progress on like the main mystery. And consequently, it feels like a lot of stuff was crammed into this book and it feels a little bit all over the place and like sections get quite repetitive. So I'm going to go into it and we're going to have a little spoilery discussion of the actual plot. The book starts out some weeks after Seth's surprise departure at the end of the previous book. Anna's new mooning it up. She's depressed. She misses him. Her schoolwork is suffering. She's training how to use her magic with Abe, who is still being very inappropriate. He, like, kisses her without permission. He keeps making not very thinly veiled attempts to win her over, saying that she can have love and magic with him. She wouldn't have to choose that he's clearly a superior choice to Seth and that Seth is gone. Considering he's meant to be in, like, his mid-twenties, it's kind of gross that he's trying to pursue a relationship with someone who's only just turned 18. And to be honest, I didn't like Abe at all. So I was kind of annoyed that he played such a big role in this book. On page 10, we get an update on something that was mentioned in the previous book and which I knew was relevant. And this basically confirms that, that her mother was seen to jump off a bridge into a river. But given that that's how you reach the witch council with the name I can't pronounce, it seems obvious that she was not jumping into the river she was going to the council to do something so Anna latches onto this and thus begins her search for what her mother was doing and what secrets she may have been trying to hide unfortunately the first half of the book which kind of deals with her getting to the bottom of this mystery is quite repetitive people go to London they go back to winter chaos happens in London people return to winter they come back to London for other things and then go back to winter and it just feels like Maybe we could have accomplished this in a long weekend in London without having to constantly travel back and forth. Um, so I did get kind of sick of the fact that they were just sort of being shuttled from one end of the country to the other. And it was kind of wasting time in my view. But essentially what happens is she goes to the council and mid-council meeting there is a sort of attack on the council building. Um, it basically exists in this weird magical space powered by all the hidden rivers of London, uh, which kind of reminded me of the Ben Aronovich Hidden Rivers book, but um, only in the fact that it just mentions the rivers. And that each 
river or sometimes several rivers are controlled by a chair of the council and we are introduced to all the chairs uh, the only two that really have relevance are Anna's grandmother and Thaddeus Corax who is the guy who basically tried to have Anna killed in book one uh, so we're introduced to those two Thaddeus is sort of at the end of his life which he's apparently been trying to unnaturally prolong and it seems like maybe he is looking for a way to keep hold of power for a little bit longer to depose some of the other chairs and that's where his interest in Anna comes from. So there's this attack, basically a, a series of tremors at the, the council and everything goes into chaos and Anna is able to get a look at the visitors records for this time period where her mother visited and find out that her mother visited on the day that a page from a very old book of prophecies was stolen. So pretty clear that this prophecy is somehow important and she needs to get a hold of a copy of it. The process of getting this copy of the prophecy kind of interminable to be honest. She goes obviously to her friend Mr Book Selling Man, I forget what his name is, something true love, uh, to try and ask him about it and after a while he manages to send her an email uh, to her address when she's in winter saying oh yeah I've managed to, to find a copy of it this prompts another trip to London at which point she discovers his body holding a small piece of the edge of the prophecy because someone has taken it um, I will say that this book kind of gets a lot darker than the previous books there's a lot more like graphic wounding and death murder uh, even hints at cannibalism and things like that so it took kind of a weird turn and elements of it kind of reminded me of the final uh, book in the Harry Potter series, um, but sped up uh, and there were like different things. It was mainly the whole idea of there being this prophecy and that was what sparked everything off and the fact that everyone kind of drops out of school and goes on this long and rambling quest. It's revealed that the attack on the council was the result of someone being a spy and telling a foreign group of witches, because all the foreign powers of witches are usually like at war with each other and don't trust each other, someone leaking information that enabled them to attack all the weak points of the council building. So they're looking for this spy, now there's been a murder, Anna decides to go and confront Thaddeus Corax because her grandmother suspects that this is some sort of power grab on his part and Anna basically just blunders in looking for answers but surprise surprise Thaddeus has been stabbed to death in his private chambers. His death releases one of the rivers from captivity and chaos ensues, everyone is flooded out of the council chamber and ends up floating in the Thames which is running red with blood, buildings are collapsing, all this stuff's going on. During this upheaval Anna is rescued once again by Marcus who rescued her in the second book in the series when she was trying to find a way out of the council he's revealed to be her cousin during this book and then he had a kind of close relationship with her mother uh, and misses her a lot uh, so he kind of gets drawn into the group I will say I did not trust him for a minute it kind of sets him up as if he's going to be like part of this love triangle but we already have two guys in the love triangle there cannot be a third and the fact that he's related to the big bad evil guy from the first book and the fact that he does some of the things he does later meant that I trusted him about one percent and therefore his inevitable betrayal was not so much a, a massive blow uh, but he's there Emmeline's there and Abe and they all get swept away and manage to get out of this chaos 
but obviously things are getting very serious and they are sent back to winter so that they have to come back to London later. We take a quick break from all the terrorism and in fighting the council to talk about some business in Windsor, namely that Seth's granddad is dying. His health has been declining over the books and now he's in hospital. But he wants to see Anna, which is weird because he literally screamed at the sight of her every time he saw her in the last book. So because Seth is away at sea delivering boats and avoiding Anna, uh, she decides to go and see his granddad and see what he wants in hospital. And he reveals to her in this moment that her mother came to him when she was pregnant, desperate for his help and protection, because the prophecy said that someone descended from his line would lay down their life to protect her child. And it doesn't take a genius to work out where this is going. But he turned her down, said that he wouldn't help a witch. And so she cursed him so that every step he took on land would be pain and he would know only despair and agony. And that once he died, the curse would be passed down to every member of his line. Uh, so when he dies, because his son is already dead, it will leap straight to Seth. Seth returns to the funeral now with a pronounced limp because of, you know, the curse. Anna doesn't tell him about the curse. There's some sort of pointless relationship stuff here. A lot of the book seems to be given over to her and Seth telling each other how much they don't want to be together and then how much they want to be together. It's very teen romancy and I didn't have a lot of time for it because there was so much mystery and intrigue that I wanted to get back to and it felt like this was a very well-trodden YA ground. It was no longer new and original like it happened in, in the first book. Their sort of relationship was following quite preset paths in terms of the we want to be together but we can't possibly be for reasons that would be explained if we ever had an honest conversation. An interesting fact is revealed about the curse however that if her mother was dead the curse would have worn off so it adds sort of more fuel to the fire that maybe her mother might still be alive although the law on this is quite shaky and it may not have been ended when she died so it's still kind of up in the air. I will admit that I found the actual fate of her mother to be quite surprising when it was revealed because I had assumed that she was alive somewhere, uh, but that is proven to not be the case. Spoiler alert. Um, so that was quite interesting and intriguing and certain parts of the latter half of the book and the lore on the other witches that they meet were interesting. I just wish we could have spent more time with it and it could have been less rushed. Skipping over some stuff, we get to the point where Anna's grandmother is attacked and has some kind of stroke and Anna realises that her mother may well be the spy, the person who's selling these secrets to foreign witches to have them attack the British Council of Witches. And the suspects are strongly revealed to be the Russians because of the Russian charm that was used to suppress her powers. And we're told a little bit about the Russian witches, mainly that... They were this kind of wild and powerful bunch who were eventually turned on by the humans in Russia and they were forced literally underground uh, to suffer and die and no one has heard of them since so very shadowy and very secretive. Obviously there's another visit to London but then we're told that they are going to go to Russia and they do that thing of like Anna's going to go alone but then M's like I'm not going to let you go on your own and then Abe has to come along as well and also Marcus so they all end up going to Russia but it's kind of annoying because I honestly thought this would be the point where she would come clean to her dad tell him that her mum was a witch explain everything to him so that he would have I guess some closure on just this whole mystery 
uh, of his life, basically, because obviously his wife left and then he had to raise his daughter by himself. But she doesn't tell him. She just sort of says, well, I'm going to Russia and not doing my A-levels and I'm an adult, so you can't stop me. And then he doesn't try to stop her and she goes to Russia. It's in Russia that they finally get a copy of this prophecy. There's a whole frustrating moment where she thinks that Caradoc, the dead book guy, might have scanned her a copy before he died, but it turns out he scanned the wrong side, which is very frustrating. And then they get to this library in Russia where a copy is meant to be, and they're told that it was destroyed in a fire, but that they have a microfish copy. So finally we get to read this frickin' prophecy. And it basically confirms what I kind of guessed in book one, as soon as we were told that witches cannot raise the dead. Anna can raise the dead, and that's why she's so special. Uh, she also cannot die. She's described as the mistress of death, and as long as she has even the smallest amount of witchcraft in her, she is unkillable. Which kind of explains how she manages to survive all of the things that happened to her in the first two books. Upon leaving the library with this copy, they are attacked by a Russian witch who is chasing them and shouting stuff. But just from the way this is written, it sounds like she's trying to talk to them or stop them from doing something that is dangerous to them. There's just this kind of feeling that she's like chasing after them because she's trying to help them and not because she's trying to hurt them. But they end up fighting her anyway. Specifically on page 218, uh, she says, I come, friend, and then tries to, like, smile, but she has, like, black and dra uh, jagged teeth, and she's described as being, like, barefoot and very wild in appearance. So, obviously, this frightens the shit out of um, Emmeline and Anna, and they just run from her and start, like, a magical fight, and obviously the witch defends herself, and this begins to escalate. And then right at the very end... As they're like duking it out on this bridge, Marcus turns up and throws a curse at this witch that sends her off the bridge and to die in the waters below. And this is mega suspicious because like how did Marcus know where they were? Obviously there's which ways that he could know, but why would he just come to them for no reason? And I instantly got the feeling that this is one of those occasions where someone tries to say something and they get conveniently sniper bulleted from really far away. And that's more or less what happens, because obviously Marcus is evil, and gratifyingly this is revealed fairly quickly after this moment. They get back to the hotel, they read the prophecy, and then Anna goes downstairs to try and heal um, Marcus's wounds, because he wouldn't let anyone look at this like gaping wound in his chest that he got during this fight, and he was being incredibly fierce anytime someone tried to. But knowing now that she can heal any wound and cannot die, she goes to help him. It becomes apparent that the reason he didn't want anyone looking at his chest is that he already has a giant wound there already, a giant burn mark from when he was shot with a flare gun by Seth in book one, while in the form of a crow trying to scratch Anna's eyes out. Congrats to the author, did not see that coming. It felt like a weird callback, but I was on board with it. It feels very much like book one and book three had a wedge driven between them because there's a lot of stuff that was forgotten about in book two that, that that comes back in this last one but marcus is reveals revealed to be evil he attacks anna she manages to thwart him and he is sent scurrying away his motive seems to be that by delivering her to the russian witches who want her power for some reason he can become the, the head chair the one chair of the witch council in england and achieve what his father never did. Basically, he's a power-mad asshole. 
However, during the course of this fight, he does take Seth's form and try and trick her or stop her from attacking him. It doesn't really work, but she now knows that Marcus is kind of a shape-shifting bastard and that becomes important later. She decides to do the stupid self-sacrificing thing and so becomes invisible and sneaks away, I guess hoping to try and find the Russian witches or her mother or whatever's going on without M and Abe being in danger. However, she runs into Seth randomly in Russia uh, on a bridge and because obviously what Marcus did is still fresh in her mind, she assumes that this is not Seth. It is. So when she launches this horrible fiery blast at him, it breaks the protective ring that she gave him in book two uh, and rebounds on her and should probably have killed her, but she cannot be killed. So it's fine. She wakes up on Seth's boat and he's super mad because wherever he goes, his compass refuses to point north. It just tells him where Anna is. So he's now useless at his boat delivery job. Unless someone specifically wants a boat delivered to Anna, I guess. He's mad that he can't get away. He's mad that he can't stop thinking about her. The whole thing is very toxic. And Anna is aware of this and feels super bad, to her credit. Uh, she explains that she thought he was Marcus and sort of tells him what's going on. But still doesn't reveal that he's cursed. I don't think, to my knowledge, she ever tells him in the book. Um, she just keeps that little nugget of info to herself. But he's still struggling with his limp. They decide to get it on in the boat, but when they wake up the next morning, the boat is no longer in the harbour. Uh, it's just out at sea. And when they try and locate where they are, using magic, because all of his stuff is just pointing at Anna, it looks like they're now in Siberia, which is a bajillion miles away from where they should be. And it's because the Russian witches have seized control of the boat and are taking it to their lair. So unfortunate. To cut a lot of things short, this area of the book was what I really enjoyed. They're met by one of the Russian witches and taken to their underground system of caves where they live in complete darkness because they've just adapted to live in the dark. Um, we're told that they were imprisoned in the gulag there in like a mining system where you're just meant to mine yourself to death. They overthrew all of the humans there, claimed it for their own, and have remained there drawing power and strength from the minerals and stuff in the caves. They say that they don't waste anything, and then Anna and Seth are given some weirdly metallic-tasting bread that Anna later theorises was made with blood, but neither confirmed nor denied, still gross. And they're introduced to a pile of bones kept in a special kind of cathedral room. And this is where the story gets a little bit weird, because essentially Anna is told that they had a leader, the Russian witches, who was a guy who wanted them to have supremacy over humans. He got in real big with the Russian royal family and decided that after centuries of persecution of witches, he was going to strike back and they were going to assume control. And that after three attempts on his life, he was finally killed. Now, they don't ever say the word Rasputin, but pretty sure it's Rasputin. And the whole big master plan here is to get Anna to use her power to raise him from the dead so that he can lead the charge in the war of witches versus humankind. Which is, you know, a, a, a pretty big thing. Um, she's also told a few things about her mother but not a huge amount by Tatiana who's the witch just showing him around. Predictably things get real sinister and they bring her mother in to convince her to do what they say and raise Rasputin from the dead. 
Hashtag not Rasputin, never confirmed. However, during this talk where her mother admits to selling state secrets and joining the Russian witches because they had like a unique sense of purpose and there was no infighting like with the witch council, her mother refers to herself as a traitor and this calls back to something that the bird screamed at her in book one while it was trying to scratch Anna's eyes out. And Anna realises this isn't her mother at all, it's Marcus pretending. So when that doesn't work, they decide to show her the process by which they've survived so long, which is basically shoving a massive needle into a witch's chest while they're tied to a chair and draining out all of their magic until the witch is dead and then injecting it into each other to remain strong. Again, this part is quite harrowing. There's a lot of like body horror-esque elements in this like last half of the book. We see it being done to the witch who was chasing them that time on the bridge because she was, in fact, trying to warn them, called it. And then they say that that's what they're going to do to Anna. So either she can use her powers and then be basically their respawn anchor <laughs> uh, for the war to come where she will just keep raising them from the dead. Or they'll suck all her power juice out and use it to bring back Rasputin which will only work the one time, so they don't really want to do that, but they will if she won't do it. So that's pretty harrowing. They then bring in Abe and Emmeline, who they've captured and tortured, and Seth as well, and basically try and force her to do this. And when she won't, they strap her into a chair and suck all of her magic out through this giant needle in her chest, which is disgusting and kind of cool. I do feel kind of like this situation went on too long. They just kept showing her things to try and convince her when it's pretty obvious she's never going to be convinced. And then the whole section when they're draining her magic, that goes on too long. Everyone's fighting about who should take the needle out of her chest and whether that will kill her and how they can reverse this. It just feels like it's taking too long. But in the end, Emmeline seizes the jar of magic and threatens to smash it on the floor. And through this standoff situation they're able to get Anna and Abe who's had his intestines pulled out by Marcus by the way um, and sort of drag them out of the cave without the witches doing anything to endanger the jar and then one young witch lets off a bolt of energy which causes a massive cave-in and the witches scramble to try and save Rasputin's bones and I guess they all die in the cave-in because they're never mentioned again which to me felt kind of cheap because they're meant to be like the bad guys who Anna's been protected from this whole time. She's been manipulated by them, but they all die kind of off screen in this cave in. And then we're left with Marcus for the final showdown, which isn't really as satisfying. We're also told that her mother did sell the Russians some secrets, but when she refused to give up Anna's location, so that they could raise Rasputin. They tortured her and took her magic, so she died. So Anna's mum's dead. We're not really given a lot of time to sit with that or mourn, but it is what it is. Then there's a very long and grueling journey when everyone's trying to get back to Seth's boat, but Abe's got his innards hanging out and everyone's not doing too good and Anna's basically comatized because all her magic's in a jar. Um, but they eventually get there and that's when Marcus decides to to fly down in like half man half crow final beast mode and have a fight during this fight obviously the obvious has to happen seth lays down his life for anna taking a knife for her and uh, she 
essentially manages to fight off Marcus, just basically using human hand-to-hand combat and the knife she pulls from Seth uh, to finally end him. And then, despite the best efforts of Abe, who I hate, and Emmeline, who I'm kind of lukewarm on, she decides to open the jar of magic and pour it into Seth's dead body to try and bring him back, knowing that this will leave her without magic for the rest of her life. It's a predictable sacrifice for her to make. I wish it didn't take so long to get there. It feels like this second half of the book is just a very long chain of people trying to sacrifice themselves for each other. And it got kind of boring in that way that Supernatural gets kind of boring when one of them has to die at the end of every season. Kind of like that. Uh, And Abe is basically showing his anti-human side here. He's like, no, don't do this. I love you. And the undertone here is that he won't want her if she doesn't have magic, which is gross. And it's also revealed that Emma Line is in love with Abe, but God knows why. But she does. She pours it into Seth, and then it looks for a while like it's not going to work, but we all know it's going to work, and then he wakes up. So that's fine and dandy. And then basically we get the epilogue of the book. She speaks to her grandmother, who says some not particularly supportive things, but it's kind of played like it's positive. Like, she does still care about Anna, but she thinks Anna, like, wasted all her power and is never going to be able to take a seat on the council now and all this other stuff her dad remains in the dark entirely about the fact that she's a witch and Anna decides to go and work with Seth sailing boats around the world to deliver them to people and then right at the very end they kiss and it's suggested that maybe her powers are coming back because it creates a few snowflakes so maybe there's there's still a little bit of magic in her we don't know and and that's the end of the book Now, I feel like this is a satisfactory end to the stories that we've been given. My issue with it is that it feels very fragmented. It feels like there was too much going on and therefore things got a little bit muddled, uh, a little bit confusing. Things could have maybe been split in two books, like maybe have the whole attacks on the Witch Council be in the second book and then get into everything to do with Russia in the third one. Having it all in one feels like we are rushing from chaos to other chaos, from attack to fight, and then there's all this exposition that has to be crammed in there to tell us what happened to all these other characters, and it feels like a lot. And yet still the ending really drags because it's just, you know, Anna tries to sacrifice herself for Emmeline and Abe, and then she tries to sacrifice herself for Seth, and then everyone comes back and she tries to do it again, and then they have to like try and decide if they're going to save her or not, and it's just, it's a lot of the same kind of thing done over and over and over again. So even though there are cool elements, like this idea that there's like a subterranean race of cannibal witches, kind of gets lost in all the ensuing sacrificing and also the fact that those witches then just having survived in these caves for years and being so strong and powerful from feeding on other witches they are the ones who just get crushed by rocks off screen like so many indiana jones flunkies and marcus is the one who's like the final baddie it kind of makes sense because she has a personal beef with marcus but at the same time, it felt a little bit unsatisfying. And then also at the end, her grandmother says that she'll have to like carry the weight of the blood on her hands for killing her cousin for the rest of her life. Like, not in a mean way, 
just like in her, she knows Anna's going to torture herself with it way. But it still felt like the book had pretty big balls to be saying like, oh yeah, Anna's going to feel guilty. And it's like, well, I mean, Marcus did give her grandmother a stroke, do a massive terrorist attack on London, pulled Abe's guts out, trying to juice Anna into a weird witch smoothie machine, killed Seth right in front of her. Stop me when I get to something that would make you feel not bad about killing him, because just one of those things would do it for me. I would not feel bad for a second. But there we go. It is what it is. I like the series. Uh, I like that it didn't outstay its welcome. It got it done in three books, which is nice and tidy. I feel like the Wicker series did sort of some of the same stuff, but it took it 15 books, which obviously were a lot shorter, but um, it, it took a long time. And... I think it's a worthwhile series to read. It's got some interesting ideas, even if the world of witches isn't particularly fleshed out and too much time, I think, is given to the, the romance angle when there's no one really deserving of playing second fiddle. Like, there's this thing that happens in these books where there's one guy who's, like, not the best because their relationship is usually pretty toxic, looking at you, Bella and Edward, but clearly that's the guy that she's going to end up with because that's how the book works that's what we're being telegraphed and then there's the other guy who doesn't stand a chance but who gets like weirdly aggressive about the main character preferring guy number one looking at you jacob and that's what this book is it's got her and seth their love will last forever whether it should or not and then it's got abe the witch supremacist and then i guess kind of marcus who's a murderer so it feels like they're trying to make it into this big choice where she gives up her magic, but we already know that there's only one choice she can make, and that kind of cheapens the whole idea of her even having a choice. So I found that a little bit tiresome, but genuinely did enjoy quite a lot of the other aspects of the book, and specifically the first book I, I really enjoyed as well, because it was all new and fresh. If you have any other YA series that you'd like to recommend to me, please do so. You can drop them on Twitter. I'm also looking for recommendations of new witch subscription boxes to try out. In particular, I'm looking for one that sends books. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, so drop me any suggestions on Twitter or in the comments section on YouTube. You can send it to the email address, but I will probably not see it for six months. So I'm just making you aware of that. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye!